0: Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Hey everyone, and welcome to Raising Parents, the Parenting Science Insights podcast, produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science providing structured insights informed by science, and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host, Dina Sargent. Now, let's get started. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode. So we talk about birth and pregnancy quite often on the show, and there's so many different ways to go about pregnancy, so many different ways, so many birth journeys that we've talked about. Um, Violet Wigley uses techniques and tools to build a positive and powerful birth throughout the pregnancy and even after. So I'd love to introduce her onto the show to talk about postpartum life and stories and the journey that sort of comes about especially after the pregnancy. So thank you so much, Violet, for coming onto the show. Thank
1: you so much for having me. It's exciting to be able to share some tools and some insights into birth and postpartum and and life beyond, basically.
0: (laughs) So you did not always, were not always a, like person that goes through and helps people through birth and even afterwards so can you talk about a little bit more about what your job entails and even after how you got into it
1: yeah, it's actually quite a big story uh so I'll, I'll try to be brief but um i hadn't always been in this um in this industry uh, in birth and postpartum but um i am a mom uh now i've got a four-year-old daughter um so before then obviously you can tell i'm, I'm english so i come from england but now i live in melbourne Um, I come actually from the design and construction industry and um, I got very seriously sick, uh, seriously unwell, and my life kind of changed from that point um, because it just gave me a different perspective on life just in general and just how to manage my health. Um, And it was during my recovery um, as just pure miracle that I actually did get pregnant. Um, So I had all these fears and all these, um, I guess, Outdated views, I guess, as well, behind me uh, from what I'd been taught about birth and what I've been taught about what happens after birth. And I was just really um, not aware of half the things I'm aware of now. Um, And that kind of set me on a journey, I guess. Um, I had my daughter in England, I had a home birth. And then within six weeks of giving birth to my daughter, my husband accepted a job in Australia. And we moved to Australia selling our houses. Uh, we moved here literally within four months. Um, so my daughter was actually five, month, five and a half months old when we flew here during my postpartum. So my postpartum, uh, I mean, I had my birth journey, which was epic, but my postpartum was the biggest part of making me. Um, and I had no idea what the word postpartum was, what did it mean? What did it entail? and really how my life would be affected going forward. Um, and having suffered a very serious health condition um, and having, you know, that second chance at life, I, I really wanted to, you know, really, really grasp it. Um, but it was very hard because it was a really huge transformation and no one had ever told me what to really expect. Um, and things that had been told to me were very, I guess, more on the negative side um you know and there was this fear of you know how am i gonna how am i gonna do things like what what am i what am i gonna do how am i gonna look after a bit how am i gonna look after myself um and my husband started his new job within two weeks of landing in australia um and i just really had no clue what i was doing um and it was very overwhelming so i when i um going back to when i was in england and i had my birth i actually um did hypnobirthing birth. So I studied with a hypnotherapist to do hypnobirthing. And it actually really helped me. I took some tools from that into my postpartum. And I thought, do you know what? I want to I had to leave my career back in England anyway with my illness. But I thought, you know, I'm going to actually go into childbirth because I feel really kind of like I want to find out more about healing for myself, but also be able to support others on this journey. So I did hypnobirthing uh, within six months of arriving in Australia and um and then once my daughter had gone to childcare and to, and to kinder I went into postpartum um and it was diving into postpartum and really understanding what it was about for me before sharing it with others that really um gave me more of an idea about who I am and what motherhood and parenthood and families is all about um so it really has been and still is four years on a very healing journey um and I think I suppose some ways we think or oh, postpartum is just like, you know, those first few weeks after you've given birth, but it also is going forward for the rest of your life. You know, what does your life look like after that? How do you, um, you know, connect to things, you know, your sense of self and, and all of those things that really make your daily life uh, fulfilling, but also uh, bringing your families together and expanding um, in new areas of your life that you didn't think was possible before. So um, I'm still on this journey. It'll probably be a forever journey for me because there's just so much to learn about life. Um, And just to, uh, I hope I'm not going on for too long by here, but um, postpartum, just defining that. um, Postpartum itself means after birth, but I never knew that. I thought postpartum was, I guess, a negative term for like issues. But actually the word itself just means, post means after. And partum refers to the mother after birth. Um, so very different, well, not very different, but similar to postnatal, but postnatal refers to the baby after birth. And postpartum simply means after birth. Um, so it'd be good to bring some power back to postpartum and, and postpartum experiences in general. So that's why where my passion is, uh, alongside other things that I do, because I have two businesses. But um, I hope that gives you some insight into um, you know, what I why I'm here why I'm doing what I do and, and also what I'm passionate about in in terms of life and and building um, you know, a happy, healthy family and self.
0: No, yeah, I think it's like I think we were saying earlier, it's something that we definitely don't hear a lot of the time. Or when we hear it, it is a negative term or it's put with a negative term. It's put with something that is you talk about the mood swings and depression and all these different things that we talk about and that we always hear postpartum alongside it and it's never a it's never two separate words when the the exact definition is what you're saying it's after birth it's after a situation but we don't hear it like that and we take it negatively and I've got a lot of friends who have gone through similar experiences of literally being scared of what life is like after a pregnancy. Um, and even just managing yourself while having a newborn child. And it's, it's amazing that, I mean, my, um, my mom was pretty much in a similar situation from when we were younger. I grew up when my sister was born, we basically picked up and left to Australia from New Zealand within, I think a few months of her being born just because of work opportunities and job opportunities. So the journey sounds very familiar. And the um, I think the expectation of her as a stay-at-home mom was pretty similar in terms of my dad starting a new career, building a new career, and my mom having to look after two kids, staying home with herself, having no one, not knowing anyone in a country that she's never been in before. Um, so there's a huge um connection I think with what the story that you're describing and the journey throughout it and I think you're right it is such a long journey it's a life journey it's life lessons that take part and I this is why we think that you were the absolute perfect guest for the show to talk about this today and talk about your own journey Um, you know for this episode we're talking about life postpartum and looking into the emotional buildup, the routine, the some misconceptions that do take part, and also the societal expectations that do come alongside after pregnancy that do come alongside from, whether it's family members, friends, and just a whole lot of different points of view and experiences and comments and advice that all comes along with it that somehow always seems to come at the, wrong, at the worst time possible. So, it's something that we are definitely wanting to talk about a little bit more throughout the show. But before we do, we love to talk about you a little bit more and sort of get to know you as a person before we get to talk to you as a professional. So, we love to start off with a little icebreaker, sort of just to, it's called Have You Met Violet? And it gets to know you a little bit more with your different interests that sort of take place in the different areas. So when I say, when I ask you these questions or say the different phrases, just say the first thing that sort of comes, comes to your mind. Okay. It's a test. (laughs) It always is. Life is a test. (laughs) The first one is a favorite book of yours.
1: Um, I I love the biology of belief by Dr. Bruce Lipton. It's such a, uh, I actually had it here earlier. Uh, I actually have it with me. I'll show it on screen. Um, it's such a beautiful book. Um, it's about unleashing the power of consciousness, matter and miracles. And I'm a lover of epigenetics, science, um, new biology. And um, he talks about the environment and the effects on um, I guess are not necessarily our genetics and DNA, but just what's going on sort of biologically on a science level, but bridging science and spirituality. Um, and I just think it's really beautiful. It's a very intelligent, um, evidence-based book. with a lot of um, great information in there. And I'm always inspired when I read it.
0: <laughs> no, that sounds, it's amazing how, insp- how much inspiration and how much understanding and knowledge sort of comes just from reading, just from reading a book and understanding it a bit more. And especially when you talk about life, I think I mean people say it's self-help book but i really just think it's a knowledge and understanding and understanding the world because the world is complicated so it's good to have some kind of guidance as to how we understand it absolutely (laughs) the next one is a favorite movie of yours
1: i love movies so that's really hard um i did actually have a bit of a think um i was thinking about movies um i suppose at the moment and it always changes Uh, The movie, The Help, which has got Viola Davis in it. Um, And it's about um, African-Americans in the 1960s that obviously had to face a lot of discrimination. Um, And just, yeah, I guess speaking truth. And um, it was just a really beautiful, insightful Mm -hmm. journey to their lives. So I love inspirational movies like that. And I love Viola Davis. She's just such an inspiration in their life as well as on the screen. So that's one of my gazillion movies because I love movies. <laughs> so it's really hard to pick one.
0: The Help is probably one of the best sort of inspiration movies that you could possibly add to the list. I know that there are a ton of different things and same situation but different name and I love the historical accuracy that sort of comes in with The Help as well. So I think, yeah, I loved, I read the book because of the movie. So usually it goes the other way around yes, for yeah. me but no i bought the book because of the movie
1: it is an excellent excellent story yeah
0: <laughs> yes no i agree <laughs> the next one is a favorite podcast that you listen to
1: oh i have to be honest i don't really listen to many podcasts however um my teacher who i learned my postpartum course with and also breastfeeding knowledge with is um does many podcasts and I can't pick from any of them, but she has got some fantastic podcasts. Um, One other one that really stands out, and I said pick one, um, is from Amy Taylor-Kabaz. She works with Matrasants, which is postpartum. um, And she did a talk with, um, it was a partner of a birthing mother and his role as a partner supporting her through her journey so that she went from like we say exhausted to empowered Um, and it was just really enlightening from I guess a male perspective but also the partner's perspective non-gender specific Um, so I feel like that was really beautiful to hear the other side and just what it means to support your partner Uh, because it's a major life uh, change this you know postpartum is such a big topic because it is a huge transformation I don't think we realize what we take on until we're actually going through it so that's a really beautiful podcast
0: okay well that is that is probably the place to go if you're looking for some more knowledge into understanding postpartum and how to support a partner as well I think that is a podcast that we can definitely recommend and add down to the description below if anyone wants to remember it's that it's
1: called the Wingman's Collective I think it's called or no, that was, okay yeah the Wingman's Collective <laughs>
0: Okay, perfect. Well, I'll have to look that up after the show. (laughs) Uh, The next one is a famous role model of yours. Uh,
1: I don't have many famous role models. Um, I have many... I have spiritual teachers. I have three of them. But I... I know this might sound really cheesy, but I think the... Especially personally for me and the fathers that I love, um, I think that your own role model is you yourself. So for me myself, my resilience, and just what I've been able to bring through for myself. Um, true testament, there's no greater teacher than oneself, I think, no matter the failures. <laughs> um, and uh, no matter all the trauma we go through, I think that's the greatest role model is oneself. So I'd better say think
0: I think I've, I've heard so many different answers to that question. I think that's probably one of my favorite ones, just because of how it's I don't know. It's not meant to sound deep, but it became very deep in terms of just how I think resilience as well sort of comes to mind when you, talk, when you talk about role model. I think what you the person that you look for in a role model is usually the person that you take resilience from and you take a lot of um, inspiration from. So choosing yourself, I think, is the biggest compliment, and it's amazing that how much how many people are in this world that your role model is yourself I think that's amazing
1: I think we forget how important we are so it's just a reminder to look at oneself we're always looking everywhere else but yeah definitely look within
0: yes that is the motto for today and the life lesson for today if you haven't already learned that now how about a favorite course that you've completed
1: um I love them all. Um, I do have a very colorful background just so everyone knows. Um, But for me, my most, I'm passionate about all of them because they all come together. But learning qigong, which is an aspect of Chinese medicine, it's very much like Tai Chi, has been the most inspiring and healing journey I've been on, um, on a spiritual level and on a physical and emotional level. Um, So learning qigong and I'm continuing to learn uh, more about qigong as I go forward with more training. Uh, to advance myself has been the most yeah beautiful journey so and I bring that into my postpartum work as well.
0: Wow that's that's a pretty that's a pretty cool way of sort of adding that into what you do for work and also taking lessons for yourself as well. So we're talking about parenting and most importantly talking about the postpartum life, and sort of the misconceptions that take place, everyone has a very different definition as to how they see parenting. It is definitely not a universal term. It's definitely not a universal phrase or something that we see as one size fits all. Now, what do you think parenting is? And what do you think that it entails?
1: I'm going to speak as a parent here, (laughs) Um, and I think now it's really hard to define parenting because like you said, it's so personal to um, the couples or the families, the mother, the father. Um, um, and just, just so you know, when I'm talking about the mother, I don't necessarily always mean the biological birthing parent. I, I mean, the person who takes some mother archetype that is doing the primary sort of nurturing. Um, I think it's, to me, it's a lifelong process and experience to which we're forever learning in unique ways, just how to, I guess, nurture ourselves um, and also nurture our children. Um, And I think it's, I guess, in a way learning about what our needs are, which also become our children's needs. So beyond practical needs, um, our emotional needs, the spiritual needs, um, I mean, it's a very um, important stage to which evolution takes place because every time we give birth to the next generation, there's a change in the pattern, there's a change in the belief system, there's a change in, I guess, culture and society. Um, I like to think, uh, even if it's a small percentage. And I guess there's no black and white answer to parenting. I think it's just something that will continue to evolve uh, through generations. And we also learn from our children. I mean, my daughter's going to be five and I've learned so much about her the things that she sees, the things that she comments on, being in the moment. And adults get so caught up in, um, and it's easy to do, all of us do this, but it's easy to get caught up in the mundane practical things that we forget about, the other needs that we have as human beings. Um, And, uh, you know, it really does extend to other aspects that we didn't consider before. Um, And I guess that sense of wholeness. um, So, yeah, it's a very holistic experience and there's definitely no one answer to that it's just a a forever journey and um also you know our our children in a way somehow parent us in in what they teach us through looking at things with a new pair of eyes Um, so it's definitely an eye-opening and heart-opening experience
0: no i i love that answer because it's so it feels so true to how you sort of see a lot of parents go about their day-to-day i mean I think we a lot of us really underestimate how much you actually learn from kids. And I learned so much from my friends' children. I learned so much in how how to not take things so seriously. And I think that's the biggest thing that you could possibly see in a child. When you see a child just take a little thing like for example, falling over. You know, they don't you expect a child to cry after scraping a knee. Something they run up and they start running around again and falling again but somehow that's that feels like such a good metaphor for how to go about life and how to go through different situations and you're definitely right in terms of how much we learn from kids and I feel like we underestimate them to the highest degree
1: it's easily done though because you know it's the one thing that we will say about parenting is there's we, we have this idea as well and just going on an outside view um it's easy, especially when we are not parents, to view other parents and have, I guess, although we don't mean to, a judgment because of the conditioning that we're taught about the perfection element of doing things in a XYZ way until you then do it yourself. And you're like, oh, that's not really working for me. And I guess, in a way, it's trial and error. Um, And we do live in a culture where we have um, had imposed on us or indoctrinated in us ideals about what parenting should or shouldn't look like. And when we live by these rules, we have these, I guess, in a way in a conflict and that can create a lot of blocks within parenting for the individual, but also just for the family as a whole. And um, that's just something that, you know, really gets worked through. We're just exploring what works personally for the individual and for the family, because we all have different ways of of being and and doing, you know, daily things or our beliefs about, you know, who we are and what we're doing, um, you know, beyond just sort of, you know, just the day-to-day things as well. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's difficult world to live in when we have these ideals, you know, all these, um, you know, preconceptions, what should and shouldn't be. And then, you know, we, we're, it's like we, we always have this conflict in a conflict of what we feel versus you know what we're being told we should be like even though it might not be as direct we still get those messages into how to be a parent uh, but it always doesn't you know, it doesn't always work one size doesn't fit all as you said earlier as well
0: yeah no I think especially when it comes to parents to be and expectant parents I think there's a whole lot of We have so much advice for them and, I mean, you hear all – I hear all of my friends telling me that, oh, my mom said this, my grandparents say this, my auntie says a whole other thing and there's whole – so many people have so many different kinds of input that sort of it can get really overwhelming, especially when it comes to – I mean, I know a lot of my friends who are intense people pleasers and they would do things to make their family happy. For example, if it's taking their advice and actually putting it into action, even though they don't feel like doing it. Like a lot of my friends, when they're going through the transition into being parents, they had the idea of, okay, I'm going to take some rest. I'm going to take my time. But there was so much advice saying that, oh, no, you have to go to walk. You have to go for a walk. You have to do this. You have to. And it just, it got so much for them. And there's so many different people that say so many different things, I think as well, that sort of gets overwhelming. So what do you think expectant parents need to be aware of going into the transition of being parents?
1: So I think, um, and, and and I'm hoping to address obviously those that have gone through into their postpartum stage as well. And it's, you know wherever you are on your journey, you can always change things. But if you are um, expecting and you're pregnant, it's the best time to look at what you what you want going forward because we focus so much on the birthing aspect especially because it is um, we live in a very medical age and a lot of focus is to put around the birth and not on the postpartum, but postpartum is by far the biggest experience out of everything because once we've had our child, we're then moving forward in our life and it looks different from how it looked before And I think just acknowledging and respecting and honoring the fact that this is a really huge rite of passage, it is a major life transformation. And No disrespect to other things that we may go through in life, but giving birth and creating life is a true miracle. Um, And I think we often do take that for granted and forget. Um, And when we do realize that, it just makes you realize, okay, I need to put a few things in place to... um, make sure that I have all the things that I need to give my family and myself. So I always say preparing for an empowering postpartum journey is as equal or if not more important as planning an empowered birth experience. Um, I think as much as you can prepare for during your pregnancy um, is really important. And again, just what we were talking about earlier, all elements, it's great to have practical support. So caregivers, your support team, Um, your partner and you know your midwife your health visitor friends people that you really trust and um, know will support and advocate for you and I think it's also really important to acknowledge that um, beyond the physical aspect that um, emotional and spiritual needs also need to be replenished and having I guess an idea of who you can speak to um, little things that you can do to top up your energy so I always say, um, doing things that you love throughout your pregnancy and continuing that new to your postpartum as a little connector dot that keeps you in the space of, I guess, your, um, I guess your inner self because your identity does change and the way you perceive things will change. So it's good to have something to connect you to, I guess, going forward. Um, and all those things that you would use for your birthing experience, you know, the nutrition, um, and, you know, the activities you would do, you know, I'm sure many um, families and, and mothers um, do yoga and mindfulness techniques, which really help with birthing. All those techniques are also really important for postpartum, albeit they are a little bit different. Um, and there are so many uh, postpartum resources now, which I'm happy to, um, I'm excited about. And there's more and more uh, out there. Um But I think the biggest thing is also just asking those questions and having a chat with your partner and your loved ones and your doula or your midwife about, you know, what do I need to have in place for afterwards? Because, you know, simple things like preparing your food, you know, um, I remember in my postpartum, my husband did everything. He was my postpartum doula. He did the cooking. He did the cleaning. He did the washing. And he also tried to be there for me. My friends were all young and didn't have children, so they didn't really understand what the transformation was like. Um, I also had the the lingering of my health issues beforehand, but I was able to reach out to my hypnotherapist for some extra support. Um, and just little activities that really um give you that peace and joy. So it's really about, I guess, all those things that you know you would need for your emotional support, your mental support, and your spiritual support, as well as your physical and practical needs. So, Um, energy for the partner as well is really important. So if you can, for example, pre cook food, put it in the freezer, if you can sort out a food roster with friends, um, you know, and just say, you know, after we've, you know, had our baby, can you drop off some food or can you do some shopping for us? And just having that chat and aligning a few things that makes it easier for you. Um, and you know, getting a cleaner in to do the cleaning. So you don't have to worry about that because these little things actually have a huge impact. And um, again, it's one of those things we don't realize until we're experiencing this for ourselves. Um, And being able to also talk about our fears and challenges, I think that's probably a really important thing because our mindset is our driver, I guess, and for anything and everything we do in life. So mindset is really important. And if we're feeling that we have really overwhelming fears and concerns, it's really important to get that support um, to really feel more empowered on your journey and know that it's okay to not be okay. I think that's also really important as well as an expectant parent. Um, and knowing that you're not in this alone, um, because we've talked so much about practical support, we forget that when we feel that we have to go through things alone, especially with the culture we're in, we don't ask for help. And then we wait until we're experiencing a great hardship before we then... Do try to reach out but it's very different then because it's very hard to then energize that action and then that creates more uh, trauma or more um disconnect um so as much as you can think or talk about beforehand openly and really honor your feelings um whatever they are the more love that opens and and the more that um you know the challenges that you face become easier um i do something, um, and I might be going into a slightly different <laughs> area here, but I do something called an empowerment plan. Um, and most postpartum doulas and other health professionals offer postpartum plans and expectant parents can actually work through this plan where they have a little look. Like For me, I do a 90-minute to two-hour session where I go through um, you know, what, what their life looks like, what, what they enjoy, um, what supports them, what challenges they're having, and what might get in the way of them creating something that they do want to create so we really have a look at that and bring forward little goals that will help um, align those things that they're working towards and then we review that again postpartum just so they can continue on that journey that they're working towards Um, and one more thing to share as well is also being aware that there will always be change what we what we think and feel we want things sort of like before we have our baby or babies will be different from when we are postpartum because everything just feels, looks, and just all our senses are heightened during pregnancy and they'll heighten during postpartum, even for, you know, the father or the partner and the non-birthing parents, you know, it really is um, a very sensitive and and vulnerable time um, and a very courageous time. So it's just be mindful that everything that you are going through is really important. And I think just remembering to go within and um you know uh, explore for yourself what your feelings are and what you what your personal needs are as well so it's just you know it's a very um it's a very huge topic and there's probably loads more that i could share um but having an idea of what you want your postpartum to look like and planning those small aspects food um cleaning cooking um you know emotional support um and just a nice little creative toolbox to pick up from all the things that you love you know uh it might be you love um knitting or sewing or you know designing recipes or whatever you like to do um you know and just having that as something you have available to top up your love cup during pregnancy and during postpartum as well
0: so when talking about the well-being and I think I think you dived into this a little bit um no that's all good I, I love that you're introducing it um, When talking about the well-being and talking about postpartum well-being after that, and I love that you shared different ways that different people can sort of get involved and different loved ones and family members can sort of be there. Why is it important for individuals in the mother role to look after themselves postpartum?
1: So... Now, uh, just going back to postpartum itself, so postpartum obviously meaning after birth, it is a continuum. But the most important window for the birthing mother, um, in particular, um, is the first six weeks. So what's happening, all hormones are changing within our body. Um, We've obviously given birth to a whole set of organs. And that set of organs, the little child has left our body. And no matter what we've experienced during pregnancy, Uh, And um, to our birth, we had an amazing birth experience. Our body has still gone through a very um, transformational experience, and in a way, our energy, both physically, mentally, emotionally, is also grieving the loss of a being inside the body which is now outside the body, and that can make the body feel very light and airy. And this also makes the brain feel a bit light and airy as well. And um, our uterus is still, you know, and organs and everything is still going back to where it was in the first 40 days. Um, my teacher, uh, she quotes her teacher, which is Yasha Oaks, a very wise woman that, uh, and I love this quote for 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 birthing mothers, for newborn mothers, is that um, 40 days for forty years. And what we mean by that is because the body has gone through so many changes and because I mean, it's. We've just become a parent, whether we've had other children, we've just been, you know, we we are invited to change once again, to almost be reborn. So it's like a rebirth experience. Um, It's really important to acknowledge that rest and replenishment is really important during that period. And I guess we don't mean confined to the bed, but when we, I guess it's like if we've had surgery, for instance, not that this is the same thing. The healing time straight after surgery is vital to the long-term health. And it's the same with giving birth. Uh, you know, we could have this amazing, powerful, active birth, but we still have to allow the body to align itself. And, you know, the bones are a bit softer and, you know, we feel different and, you know, we, our temperature is so different, you know, we're so warmer during pregnancy and then we feel a bit cooler after pregnancy because we've had our baby, um, you know, has been birthed. So, Having um, a lot of replenishment internally and externally is really important. So um, rest um, where possible with the baby, to bond with the baby is really important. And also I guess from the nutritional element as well, warming and nutritious food. So having someone be able to look after you and really take care of your needs and do your cooking for you, be it your partner, be it a friend, be it your mother, Uh, be it someone else you trust or even um, you know paid for help someone who comes in and cooks you pay or someone that is a postpartum doula like myself will come in and cook for you having that vital rest and replenishment nutrition rest and nurturing massage anything that really connects oneself back uh, within is uh, important for the long-term health um just to share a little bit, um, I mean, there's so much insight in my teacher's book, and I'll share that with you at the end. Um, many, many stories of women that have not had that rest and replenishment or have not been, um, you know, not had the right foods or not been able to get the right vitamins because we do need certain vitamins postpartum. And we do need that bonding time to just let our body, you know, get all the organs back where, where they need to be because they have moved about during pregnancy, um, can cause, you um, you know, some further um, issues in health, as well as, and when I talk about health, I also mean mental health. I also mean physical health, uh, spiritual well-being, um, and all those other elements that really make up the wholeness of us, because we can feel very disconnected, and not all of us, but some of us can. Um, And taking my example here, um, in my postpartum, I I really, um, you know, although my husband did a few things, I did a lot myself as well. And I didn't really get the nutrients that I needed. Um, so for instance, I lost a lot of hair, and you know, I felt more exhausted than I would like, and um, I felt a little bit dizzy because I didn't realize I needed iron, and um, I actually now have long-term health issues, and I suffer with fibromyalgia, uh, I suffer with exhaustion if I do work myself too hard, um, and I just have to work a little bit harder when I do use my energy. Um, I'm not saying that everybody will go through this, but it's really important to understand that even though we've had an amazing birth or whatever birth experience we have gone through, it's really important to get that rest and replenishment and to know that it's important for the long-term health as well as knowing that if you are not replenished, you cannot provide for your newborn. And we forget this actually that because we're so used in this this one world to give, 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 we forget that we cannot give from an empty bowl. And I like to use the story of if you're an empty bowl and you're placed on the table and you've got four mouths, four children to feed, plus yourself and your partner, if that bowl is empty, it cannot provide the meal that is needed for your children. And I'm not just talking about food. I'm talking about, you know, emotionally being able to cuddle to hold your child when you feel exhausted you're not able to provide that because physically you feel exhausted or to be you know um mentally sort of you know cognitive or um, be able to apply yourself in certain ways that you might have done before uh, but it's really important to replenish your energy um and especially the emotional aspect and really be able to um you know get what you need on that you know especially on that first um you know those first 40 days um, and for me, I didn't really get that. So I, you know, I really struggle going forward. And that's why I became a postpartum doula because I wanted to help empower parents on their journeys with knowing what they may need in their toolbox. But every person is different. Everybody's toolbox will look different. Um, but yeah, it's just really important to know that what we do when we have just given birth is really important in, in impacting the rest of our lives. That being said, if we don't have, you know, it, it's not our mistake. It's nobody's fault. But if we do feel like, oh, I've not had the postpartum that I wanted, you can create that anytime you want. If it's, you know, a year down the line or two years down the line, start what, you know, do those things that replenish your energy. You can still do a postpartum plan. You can still put things in place that replenish your energy so you can, um you know, be able to nurture your family, and, you know, by nurturing yourself as well.
0: Oh, yeah. I think, especially when it comes to the, The way that we sort of see postpartum, the way that we sort of see mothers, we see them. I think we really underestimate how impactful they, how impactful the birth is. And we sort of just expect them to go straight into day life. Okay, we're going to go see people, they're going to have, they're going to meet the baby, going to meet the child, and they're going to see the family all together. But that time, it's always it almost seems like that time is very much focused on the child, on the newborn baby that comes in, which is a beautiful thing and it is amazing. However, there are hardly ever any people that really ask how the mother is doing or how how is the how is she feeling after giving birth? How is she? I think especially the way that I have seen it in films and TV, you sort of see Okay, it's time to focus on that newborn child, and the mother is pretty much forced into being a mother straight away with that with barely taking into account the fact that she is still recovering, not just emotionally, but physically. Like you're talking about the bones being soft and sort of like the whole last nine months of the body being ready to give birth has just is just still trying to get back to normal, is still trying to get back to her own mindset of being, okay, I am no longer pregnant. I am now entering that new area, which is being a mother and being back to being a person. So I think we definitely have a lot of different misconceptions and different understandings as to how we expect a person to go from being an individual to being a mother so what are some of the most common misconceptions or even some of the stereotypes that you sort of hear surrounding postpartum well-being and also the different ways that you think that we can debunk them or to say that they're not true
1: um there's definitely a lot of myths and misconceptions about postpartum um I mean, I'm sure we all know that there's been many issues due to the patriarchy where women's health has been concerned. Um, I'm, I'm just going to mention one thing which I think is really important. And um, when I did my talk about this, I uh, my first talk about this, um, so many mothers were like, wow. Um, and the first thing I'm going to talk about is, is baby brain. And, um, you know women and hormones have always been like discriminated against in our, in our history. And, um, I guess in a way, um, even if it's done in a subtle way, it is a way of feeling like, you know, it's not important. Um, and therefore we feel that we have to just get up and go on with it. But with baby brain, um, and I had this as well, you know, friends will say, Oh, you know, you're, Oh, you know, you're in that dumb phase, you know, and, Oh, you know, um, you're not as bright as you used to be or, you know, something that sort of felt insulting even though they were sort of having a laugh about it. I actually genuinely felt really upset um, until I educated myself with the science behind baby brain. And it's one thing um, about baby brain, it's far from, uh, I guess, the dumb or whatever horrible words are mentioned about baby brain. It's actually a very intelligent thing that mothers go through. And a neuroscientist called Marion Diamond, who I absolutely love, uh, she actually studied um, Einstein's brain. Oh God, I can't remember the year that she uh, was around, but a long time ago, <laughs> early 1900s. Oh, might have been, I'll have to get the year for that, sorry. But um, she actually challenged a lot of the science behind women, women's health, their immunity, their vitality, and especially around motherhood. And she found the secret about baby brain. And um, a lot of the research was done on male rats, but about female health. Which doesn't make any sense at all and a lot of the science has been i guess outdated in a way um been based on male you know male uh subjects if you like or male rats and the reason why it's been done on rats is because the brains and their whole sort of way of of connection is the same as as humans um it just didn't make sense so she challenged that to do um an experiment with female rats and she did it with um female pregnant rats uh, which are mother rats and um, non-pregnant um, rats, so male and female were uh, obviously um, parents. And she put them in two different um, environments. One was an enriched environment with the maze and lots of things, and the other one was um, in an impoverished environment. And um, she found that, and then there was pregnant rats in both of those, mother rats in both of those. What she found with the experiment is that. Um, I mean, there's lots of other things to mention with the experiment. But what she found with mother rats was that their brains actually stayed the same no matter which environment they were in. But obviously, the normal rats had issues being in an impoverished cage or an enriched cage, um, and their brains were different. But what she found when she looked closer was that the brains of the rats that were pregnant had actually thickened in their cortex. So... um, What had happened is it actually made them smarter in a way. And um, they had this, I guess, in a way, upgrade um, or adjustment in their brain to, um, I guess, advance in a way in their intelligence to do the things that they need to do for their newborn and for themselves uh, with a thicker neocortex. And um, this obviously is in connection to baby brain for women um who have given birth because what happens is i guess like computer software we've actually had an upgrade no matter you know what we've been through in our lives um we've had that thickening in the cortex which then gives us this neuroplasticity and i'm getting a bit sciencey here which is to do with our learning and when we have this learning we have this you know ambition this efficiency this you know, drive to want to broaden our and expand our life to provide for our newborn. And that's in all aspects of, of I guess existence, you know, the way that we, we live, um, you know, and mean what gives us meaning in life. And in a way, because we're adjusting to this new this new software that's upper you know operating, it's upgraded. You know, like when you've downloaded a software on your computer, it's like, oh, I don't know where things go. Like I'm trying to find how does this work? You know, it's the same thing. So with baby brain, when we're sort of like mixing up our words, you know, like I used to tell my husband, can you put the, the, you know, the hoover in the oven? Um, And he said, oh, you know, you've got baby brain. The reason why is because we've gone through this upgrade and we have this almost, I guess, intelligence, this extra hypersensitive intelligence. Um, So it's just another way of of explaining that. Don't believe just because someone passed down and said, you know, baby brain is, you know, dumb or whatever. That's not really true. It's just something that someone said that we got led to believe um, because, you know, we believe so much of what we're told. um, And especially from, you know, outdated science and things that, you know, hadn't really been um, researched enough. Um, And women's health has been, you know, really, um, it's had a really big gap in many areas in general. And obviously that comes down to birth and rebirth and postpartum in particular. Um, So, you know, that's a, a little myth and misconception about baby brain. And that encompasses, I guess, everything else within, you know, the frame of of birth and ideas of, you know, what is considered an issue is actually considered something that, you know, is uh, an avenue to expand in a way. Um, So there's many other misconceptions, but that was the biggest one I wanted to talk about. Um, I guess the other one is. And this happened with me as well, is feeling like postpartum is only associated with negative things. So when I did a Google search on postpartum, and I've mentioned this to you before, uh, and I'm not surprised, but there's a lot of, um, I guess, uh, not necessarily bias, but it does point to, I guess, mental health, depression. And um, now depression happens to anyone at any point in life. And the definition of depression is basically the need for change the need to expand and feeling in conflict with what they're being told that you know what they uh, what they have been conditioned to versus what they want and this creates what we call the shadow self and then we have this separation of oneself and when we're not living life joyfully or authentically following what we truly desire it creates depression and depression can happen during any major life change Including postpartum. And postpartum is one of by far the biggest challenges because we are, I guess, not supported during these changes as much as we should be. Um, And uh, it's a myth to, and especially the word postpartum is used in a way to describe depression because many of us don't want to use the word depression um, because, you know, we feel like it's such a not talked about, taboo subject in a way, Um, you know, anxiety, fears. But, you know, we have them and it's just a way to move us forward. So, uh, yeah, when I, when I put in depression to, uh, sorry, postpartum to uh, Google, it just mentioned um, baby blues. Um, and, you know, if your baby blues don't go away or you feel sad, hopeless or empty, uh, then you have postpartum depression. Um, and it's just sort of, you know, a straight sort of line to, you know, OK, I have postpartum. And um, yeah. it's not really the way we want to view postpartum because postpartum itself is a life experience. Depression is an aspect of, of you know, I guess not feeling, you know, um, we are living the way we want to live, um, you know, and it's, it sometimes gets isolated into just postpartum. Um, but yes, it is a challenge that um, many mothers, many fathers, um, be they, you know, non-biological parents, they are affected by this because lack of support um or because they feel um you know in conflict with you know ideals or um I guess society um cultural conditioning um you know and the environment so um there's many other myths and misconceptions I could really have a whole other podcast on this um but yeah those two I wanted to mention um they sort of come up quite a lot
0: I think, especially when you're saying that Google definition, it definitely sounded like someone trying to diagnose themselves with postpartum depression. Just saying, okay, if you're feeling like this for a certain length of time, probably means you have this. It's like it definitely sounds like you're just trying to, they're trying to diagnose you without really any input into your life, any knowledge into your day to day life. And that seems like such a dangerous slope to even have available just even having that as a google search and the first google search that sort of pops up um while you were talking i did sort of google it myself and the exact same thing came up and i'm just like okay wow what are they it all had negative things attached to it i just typed in postpartum and it wasn't even seeing okay means time after birth but then their whole other emotional connections that sort of attached itself to it when that's not even the whole thing that you're trying to look into and trying to understand. So it's, it's very interesting how we sort of see postpartum and I think there's so many different, I could assume that there's so many different other misconceptions and, you know, stereotypical things that you would hear people who have gone through it, people who haven't gone through it. Um, Baby brain was probably the most interesting one when I used to hear it, and I did not know about the way that they sort of figured out what baby brain actually meant. But um, no, that just it—it's amazing what people believe and what society really goes ahead and just says, "Okay, that is that is the actual definition. That is the actual term. That is the meaning." Without knowing how much harm that it could possibly put on to a person. And I mean, hearing that as a, I could not imagine hearing that as a new mother and thinking, oh, I've got baby brain and not knowing that definition. I think that is a terrible thing to actually have to go through and have to really hear constantly. I, a lot of my friends, I do talk about baby brain a lot um, with my friends and they joke about it because they're not they're not the most serious of people, so um, they love joking about baby brain. But I'm just like, well, that is. It seems like such a. I don't know. I don't really believe that it was baby brain. I was like, okay, maybe it's just a. Maybe you always like that because they are. They don't really do things seriously anyway. So finding them where it's like whether it's something new to them or it's something that they've gone through all the time, if and without baby brain even without knowing that definition is something that's very interesting as well whether that's just their personality or whether it's something that they are um newly going through so i think there's a whole lot of different stereotypes that come along with it and they really sort of become um stuck in that mindset of being a mother especially around a lot of other people, a lot of people just sort of see them as a mom. They don't see them as a individual person before a child sort of came into their life.
1: That's definitely um, in, in another, I guess, aspect or challenge for most women because they feel um, that especially... And I go back to the patriarchy again, Um, I mean, it's being in that system of, and I know a few friends as well that go through this because you are the birthing woman or the birthing person. Of course, it makes sense that you need to be resting and have your, you know, replenish your energy after you've given birth. But going forward, you know, um, we get a lot of disempowerment um not that it is something that is intended but it is something that is i guess just in the air <laughs> because we've been so used to telling ourselves that and conditioned you know from a young age about the role of the mother and um you know in some cases the mother being at home and um you know it might work for some parents but having that discussion and really chatting about what works for the individuals themselves Um, You know, is really important because it shouldn't be a question of sacrifice and it shouldn't be a question of, oh, well, I've got baby brain or I've got this, so I can't. It's always sort of feeling that we are at a loss when actually we are at a gain, especially knowing the truth about baby brain. We have this ambition. We have this drive. We have this passion. We have all this knowledge we want to keep learning to expand ourselves even more. And this is why we can get depressed as well and feel under the weather and feel limited is because a lot of people, you know, albeit they wanna support us, don't actually understand that this is a really empowering thing. And by questioning, um, uh, you know, what we are doing and feeling like we're, you know, women are always told we're complaining or with this, you know, when actually we just wanna drive in a different direction, we want to expand, we want change. And and I always um, say that, you know, change is, you know, nature we are part of the earth and, and nature has seasons. You know, we have summer, we have spring, we have autumn. We need to have that in ourselves as as humans and especially in the mothering and, and fathering. The parenting role um, is really just sort of understand that that's a normal thing to feel. And um, it's also really important to have that discussion with your partner about what you're feeling um, and uh, do that in a non-judgmental, open way separate from what experts in white coats say, separate from what people like me might say, and just really trusting in what they feel because no one will know better than yourself. Um, We do live in an age where we do rely on external support. Um, However, we are different from how we used to be before the colonization era, before, you know, nuclear families and having to, you know, drive the career and, you know, And what happens and i'm touching on another question (laughs) probably is the male um in particular and i I don't want to dismiss partners of same sex but um males in particular assume more, or the partners assume more of a protective role and that means that then um you know they want to go out work they want to provide and they want to do these things and you know that is caring and making sure that you know we have the all this this like protective lion role protecting the lion cub and the the lioness which is beautiful um and there's a lot of hormones involved with that because men have hormones too they work a little bit different with females but it's just about adjusting to how that works for you because um, it's not always necessary that it's the partner or the male that goes out to work and provides and the one you know maybe needs to have a bit of time to to recover and to you know adjust to things as well but also being able to swap those roles over and just you know it doesn't have to be that way going forward well, you know and reviewing that at regular stages is really important um, and I know many friends that have you know feel conflicted by that themselves because it doesn't work for them but yet they feel limited that they have to do that because that's what they've been told their whole lives um, having said that my teacher such a beautiful inspiration Julia Jones um, she has a house husband she is the weekend parent because she is the main provider and that's what works for them and i think it's really important to really break um i guess also the gender stereotype um as well as everything else within what society and um, other cultures may dictate that don't agree with our inner knowing as well so you know and i think what it boils down to is just asking yourself that question And to couples, if they are listening to this and they are expecting, just ask yourself, you know, what matters to you and how do you want things to look like? And just keep checking in with each other, you know, and with an open mind, just have that discussion. Um, You know, the good, the bad and the ugly, I call it. You know, it's really important to have that chat to move away from, you know, all those limitations. And it's hard to do because we're faced with it every day.
0: Yeah, I... I completely think that you're right. I think it's something that we, I think the discussion is such a important part of sort of what's expected of both partners, whether they're okay, who's the one that's going to stay home? Are they both going to go back to work? And I think we sort of underestimate the opportunity to really learn from both sides, learn from both sides of the argument, learn from both sides of And I think especially when it comes to cultural wise, you hear a lot of people say, "Okay, it's just expected that the um, mother stays at home and looks after the child. And but there's so many different variations as to how the world goes about now in so many different ways. I know a lot of people who both of them work and they go send their child to I mean, the child is old enough to sort of go to daycare and. looked after by someone else and have that connection and meet kids of the same age that are able to also help with the social skills and be around for um for the child when the parent isn't able to because I mean especially in this day and age I feel like it's hard to have that single income coming in. So I totally see and totally understand the different ways that and the different reasons that we need two income household or Um, we are expected to have a parent that's always at home or someone that's always looking after a child without feeling like they're neglected and to make them feel like they're loved but I think we're sort of underestimating the resilience of a child in a lot of ways when um, when it comes to just being there and spending that quality time with them and also I mean, we're talking about postpartum, we're talking about so many different things, and we're talking about the misconceptions, and as well as so many different stereotypes that sort of come about. And I think there's so many things when it comes to exhaustion and burnout. I mean, it happens to pretty much everyone at any time, but it's a completely different thing when you're talking about a postpartum period and being in that postpartum time of feeling that exhaustion and feeling burnout so to you what are some of the key factors that come in and contribute to postpartum era and being exhausted and easily burnt out
1: yeah um I think it follows on from what we were just talking about um and it's it's not the parent's fault or anybody's fault in particular and I just want everybody to know that when I am talking um here um and, and just being sensitive to that but it's very I guess again um, especially with those ideals that we're fed um, feeling that we can't ask for help and that we are in a way and I had this message as well that we have to be independent and just get on and do it um, and that will I suppose what we don't realize especially for a first-time parent like me who's had my you know had my first child was I didn't realize when I was at home and doing everything by myself was it was a lot to take home because looking after your child especially a newborn is actually a full-time job in itself there's the caring role and any kind of caring role in general you know this is why midwives were burned at the stake for being witches because the whole caring role had been demonized you know thanks to patriarchy again um I'm looking forward to that disintegrating completely but um which is starting to happen now but that kind of idea that you know we have to do everything alone and not be able to reach out for support um and that can lead can be a major factor in in burnout and depletion because we are also trying to look after ourselves and you know don't forget we we're also looking at you know we've we've um had 9 months of pregnancy so when we're postpartum, it's not going to be we've had a birth where we're, you know, not that we do think this consciously, uh, but perhaps we are fed this through our, our environment and the media and the Americans are famous for this. But, you know, really, you know, that shiny, you know, the super mom, you know, and the dad that goes out and works really hard and he's got his career, you know, it's 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 almost like that's how it's supposed to be. And we know that that's not right yet. At the same time, we are faced with it Um and vice versa, you know, dad's feeling like, I want to be at home more doing more of the things and nurturing role. And, and mom do, you know, a bit of the income washes, you know, XYZ recovering and find a way that works, you know, you know, half and half, which a lot of couples do do. But um, I'm sure there's a lot of couples that do relate to this, you know, feeling that, um, and especially moms feeling that they have to just take it all on um, genuinely because they want to, but It is a lot when you are looking after your children and if you've got more older children as well. And then trying to say, you know, do the cooking, fresh cooked food, do the shopping, you know, that takes energy, it takes time. And with children, it really is a lot. Then you've got to think about feeding time for your newborn, which, you know, young babies, they need to feed regularly. And if you are breastfeeding, that also takes a lot of energy because, yes, we're feeding from the breast, but that's our immunity and vitality. Are we getting nourished enough? Are we getting rest enough? And we cannot get that balance. And when we can't get that balance and we're overflowing with our energy just going everywhere, it can really lead to burnout. And I myself have actually been through the burnout and uh, to the point of exhaustion that I collapsed on the floor. Um, And uh, I had to um, get a a carer in to look after my daughter and, and also myself. Um, I did not know that postpartum doulas existed and I really wish that I had them <laughs> when I, when I was, uh, especially earlier on in my postpartum. Um, another thing that can lead to exhaustion is also, I guess the mindset, I suppose the starting point of all of that is our mindset and asking for help should have started with that. Um, but yeah, it's just feeling that, um, I guess in a way, um, that we need to be quiet and get on with it and then that emotional turmoil can be exhausting Um, plus then also you know still trying to maintain our relationship with our partner and our families and our friends which will all be different Um, and making time to um, also have you know that relationship connection is also another area where energy is you know can be depleted as well Um, and it's just trying to balance all of that Um, so yeah it's really I guess that role of, of doing a lot by yourself and taking on a lot by yourself it's like doing I guess seven jobs in one we um, don't realise how much you know because the, the these types of roles have been devalued so much over time we think well I should be able to breastfeed my child, I should be able to cook food, I should be able to clean the house and do the washing, I should be able to also work someone's work you know within six or seven weeks they are back to work and they're doing you know part time work at the same time it's a lot energetically um, so I think that realisation has got, a, a, you know, a, a big thing to do with it. Um, and again, you know, not having that discussion with a partner or a friend or a professional about, you know, what our challenges are and being able to change that is really important. Um, I think it's quite often in birth and in postpartum, we feel we don't have an option and therefore we feel, I guess, limited. So we've got no choice but to get on. So um, that's really like a huge burnout from physical, spiritual, emotional and mental levels.
0: Yeah, There seems like a whole lot of um, expectation that sort of comes about when it comes to, I mean, you talk about a mother needing to balance every single part of her old life, what well, seems to be like her old life before a child came in and also try to find her balance in her new life and her new role that she's sort of needing to partake in and I mean I think especially when it comes to keeping the relationships of people around you it seemed I mean it seems like an impossible thing on the daily anyway just coming out of a pregnancy or just postpartum there seems like the huge need to for everyone to always want to be around you and for everyone to always okay you have to make time to see this person and all the kind of expectations that you're still going to be the same person after pregnancy. For example, if you're a huge social person before pregnancy and suddenly you sort of deplete that in terms of what you can take and what you can handle, that seems to be like, okay, so you're not the same person. Again, you're so different. You're not how you used to be without really realizing that there's a whole different change that sort of comes about. And When we talk about societal expectations and friend expectations and the amount of pressure that goes on, what are some of the strategies that can be employed to even navigate and overcome these different struggles that sort of come about?
1: Um, So I always say it's like creating your own personal meal plan. So um, boundaries and everything that you love to do will be really personal to you. And the bottom most important line I'm going to talk about is peace and joy. What brings you peace and joy? And if you can ask yourself that one question and just sit with it, you know, it might be a couple of days, you know, just sit with it. You'll start to then feel into what you want things to be, change or look like. And, you know, it's not easy to communicate to our partners. It's not easy to ask for help. It's not easy to, you know, pick up the phone and call, you know, beyond blue, if you're having, you know, those thoughts that sometimes we do have. And I've been there. I've had those dark thoughts because I've been at my wits end feeling so alone. But once I've tapped into that breath and connecting to myself, it's a great strategy to just align. And, um, I'm a great believer in self-healing ability. Um, and there's many other tools within mindfulness that you can use, Um, And there's, there's so much out there. And if you are um, looking into podcasts, I highly recommend you look at Julia Jones's podcasts. Um, And I also offer a lot within my own postpartum empowerment care and empowerment plans. Um, I guess it's really about, um, you know, just, just really finding what works for you. And Every week, every day, every minute will be completely different from the next. And the things that you may want or thought you wanted will change. And that's okay because this is a really learning journey. So just, I guess it's not really a strategy in a way, but just, I guess, acknowledgement that it's okay to not be okay. And it's okay to be confused by everything because you're just finding your way. Um, Another really important thing to put in place is, and I don't know if I mentioned this before, but your support team but your, your village and your support village is really important um and when i talk to birthing clients i always talk about if you're running a marathon you're not going to get up and just run that marathon tomorrow you're going to take your time every day with your nutrition you're going to have your support team people are going to egg you on when you feel like oh my god i can't do this i can't do this people are like, hey you're nearly there get yeah you're doing it you're doing it um and you need people that are going to um you know just support you and advocate for you and listen to you and support you as you're running that marathon i know it's a different thing but you know that's really how we want to view our approach to birth and to um you know postpartum is you know we we we're spending time on ourselves to be able to do these things and whatever we can empower ourselves with in our preparation just makes it all the more um you know of an experience that we we desire and it's okay if it isn't always like that. We can just add that in as soon as we're aware of it, add that in. Um, so we want our support team. We want the right mindset um, and really exploring our feelings. Um, another strategy, which is really, really important, and it's a fun thing. Um, I call it oxytocin boost plan. And um, it's a really fun sheet that I create. And I'm happy if anybody reaches out uh, to send this on to, to dinner or to just, you know, make it available. But Uh, oxytocin is available as soon as you uh, during the time you know peaks during pregnancy and birth but um it's actually available in everyone and anyone even in animals and we can uh, boost that in our environment even if we you know cannot optimize it during our you know birth and postpartum period in the first few weeks um and boosting our oxytocin i do this with my family as well is anything that you love to do so um like for example um you know, yoga or dancing um, or, um, you know, art drawing or listening to, you know, podcasts or anything that you love to do, warm baths, um, you know, um, smelling salts, whatever you love to do, whatever book you like to read, um, whatever activity you like to immerse yourself in. If you can make that part of your day, it's a great thing to just bring you back to, oh God, you know, because we can be consumed by motherhood or fatherhood or parenthood or, you know, where am I? What am I doing? And to just have something that gives you a boost to top up your love cup is such a amazing thing to do. Um, even if it's five minutes, um, boost your oxytocin and oxytocin actually affects just connecting to the baby brain, that neuroplasticity and that loving as well, all of that sort of energy and in being creative in other aspects of our daily life. Um, another way, you know, if you feel like, Oh, I need to be alone to do X, Y, Z, you can incorporate that with your, your family. Um, for example, I love listening to David Bowie and my favorite track is Let's Dance. And um, I used to burp my baby, you know, just sort of dancing to that song. So I thought, well, I'm on my own, but I can just dance with her at the same time, you know, and then I'm doing what I love, but she's also enjoying it because when we do what we love, because our children are so connected to us, be it with the partner or the birthing mother, um, they can feel that because don't forget they're made from our, biology so they are connected to our feelings and if we're feeling boosted they feel boosted and oxytocin is infectious so just like laughter is you know we feel that and it's very energizing uh one more thing i just want to say is also acknowledging that it's okay to make mistakes just going back to that point i made before as well um because it's such a transformational journey uh we are taught that we have this perfection and it must be you know, we've got to do this or, and our own judgment, our own rules can also limit us. But just knowing that making mistakes is what makes us wiser. And being able to make those mistakes just brings more wisdom to us. I mean, we wouldn't know what works for us unless we try it. And if it works great, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Um, And that goes beyond what professionals may say to you that you may take on board. Uh, what you know other people may say to you it 's really about finding what works for you, and that is a journey that takes time. Change is gradual it doesn 't happen instantly, so those are the few things there 's many more um but those are the main things and um, just and just having that chat with your with your loved ones, especially your partner, and just acknowledging that you 're in this together. I know that the birthing parent may feel well oh, I'm 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 nurturing this baby they're inside my belly and I've given birth and I'm breastfeeding but the other parent has also created the life with you and it's it's an equal um, it's an equal um, you know role, equal connection and it's really important to know that you are in this together and, and be working together and what works for you. Um, so yeah, that kind of rounds out some strategies but there there's so many more.
0: no that sounds like that sounds like an amazing sort of introduction into the different strategies that I mean not only you offer but different ways that they can sort of go through it themselves and I mean I love the idea of dance therapy and just sort of dancing along and um, I dance in my kitchen a lot of the time just sort of release that little bit of stress that felt throughout the day and um, sometimes I blast my music a little bit too loud and there are other people living in the house as well, but uh, no, there is that little moment when I think everyone in my household knows that I am stressed or like sort of debriefing myself on the day and that is something that I, I have always enjoyed doing, so I can definitely see how that, that would help so many different ways. Um, And I love that that is being used as a actual way of sort of releasing that level of stress that sort of comes about. Now, speaking of strategies, we're going to go and dive straight into the different practices and habits that you would recommend for a lot of people. What are some of the practices that you can recommend to parents in order to enhance their well-being after postpartum period?
1: Um, I'm going to address challenges here because challenges we face daily anyway, just in everyday life with or without having children. Um, and there's a, one thing that I like to do and I think it's really important to do and it's not easy, but um, I always advised taking five minutes out and doing a bit of, I, I call it a bit of a challenge sheet, um, but it, I guess in a way it's, an, it's just having a look at your intention and you can break it down into your day. So five minutes in the day to sit and just have a look at um, how you're feeling. Um, Something that's come up as a challenge for you, you know, might not be, but if there is, just to write that down. And I I always say journaling is quite a good tool because we can often feel overwhelmed with many thoughts. And postpartum, um, our brain and for, for both parents feels like we've emptied out a filing cabinet. It's all over the floor and what's happening is we're reorganizing that filing cabinet and some stuff we're getting rid of and some stuff we're keeping new stuff we're bringing in and it's really good to just have a little review how am I feeling there's something coming up as a challenge for me and it doesn't have to be anything big it could be as small as oh you know I'd like to have five minutes to have a cup of tea in the garden today how am I going to do that you know and just have a look at what might get in your way and also having a look at what you can do is a small step to do that. I know it sounds like a, a sort of you know trivial example, but actually for me, having a cup of tea in the garden was something I really wanted to do in my early postpartum. I felt like I was so chained to where I was in the bedroom and breastfeeding my baby that I couldn't do that because my husband was busy doing other things. Um, and I became very stressed about that. But just being able to have a check-in, um, and obviously I've done this much later in postpartum after doing the course, um, actually helped me to look at that and then actually look at what's blocking me and then i realized when i wrote down just a couple of sentences i thought oh actually i can do that um and then i was able to discover that okay my daughter's actually now you know settling a little bit so i'll go and actually ask my husband can you hold little one five minutes i'm going to go out for some fresh air and have a cup of tea obviously i stretched out for 10 or 15 minutes but that uh You know, So little things like that, just having a check-in is a really important thing to do. And it's not easy because I've had some of my couples do that and they're like, oh my God, it's really hard. I put it off for like a whole week. But it's a good way to, especially when we can't always talk to someone, just to be able to have a conversation with ourselves first. Um, And if we do feel like things are too overwhelming, we can put on our little list, you know, what's getting in my way, this, oh, I feel like I still can't do what I want to do here and have that cup of tea. And that's when you know you can reach out to, say, for instance, you know, postpartum support. Maybe it's a postpartum doula. Maybe it's a hypnotherapist. Maybe it's a life coach. Maybe it's, you know, another healing service that's available because there's so many options out there. And there's a lot of lifelines as well. Um, if we do want to just have a chat about what we're feeling and we feel like we can't really do that by ourselves. There's so so much support out there. So that five minutes is really important. And I always say, create a little sacred space. So if you can create a little, you know, if you like candles or if you like fairy lights or if you like, you know, a little outdoor space, just have a little space you can go to that where you can sort of be. And that's your little sort of, you know, your little go-to, your little little space where you can just reconnect for a moment. And, you know, even if your baby's napping on you for a few minutes, you know, just doing that, you can still do that. Um, And I guess the other things would be taking some time out to make to move um i wouldn't advise so much so in the first six weeks but certainly afterwards breath exercises are a really important strategy for alignment and balance um when i teach Qigong, and this is something i love to do for postpartum um um, clients as well is just to be able to restore that sense of i guess um strength core strength and sometimes just the breath does that and we'll just do some gentle movements and you can do this by swaying. You can do this by, I'm not talking about going here, but just sort of any kind of movement. Um, and if you do love dance, this is something that you can dance to, um, or something that you can listen to. Um, and if you're a creative person, I think bringing that into, you know, your um, your sort of daily routine is a great way to express yourself as well. If you find writing words is a bit difficult, which it can be, it's challenging. Um, and I would say, and this is really hard as well. And I said this with the last question is just sitting down with your partner and having a chat about anything that is external to where you are in motherhood, other things um, you know, that excite you or that you want to talk about, or other things that maybe you're feeling fearful about as well. So having that conversation with your partner is really important. Um and I guess um beyond that really is just having a look at what you want long-term as well and thinking about, you know, what does my breastfeeding goals look like? And, you know, do I want to do this for, you know, longer or do I want to go back to work or, you know, maybe I want to do something else. Just having a little ask and feel into what you want to do, you know, besides, you know, from the mothering or the fathering role as well, and just sort of thinking about what you want um, for yourself it's really important. So I guess they're not kind of, I'm approaching this in a different way because, We have ways of doing things very masculine in this world. And by masculine, I don't mean men. I mean more of action. We must do arbitrary tables. It's got to be this, this, and this. There's just no kind of answer. It's not black and white. I think it's just feeling into um, what your feelings are um, as the most important thing. Um, And I'm just making sure that I've got some notes here as well. (laughs) Yeah, creating some healthy boundaries, and I think also what's really important to consider is emotional digestion as well. Quite often we feel, um, you know, depleted, and we struggle in general when our stomach is not well fed. Um, in Chinese medicine, which I'm very close to, especially as I do a bit of acupressure and chigong, is the stomach and the spleen is like the, I guess, the main brain of the body. And 95% of our transmitters of communication is in our gut. And when our gut is not uh, warm, comfortable, well-fed, um, and having the right nutrients, we're unable to actually process and deal with daily things, long-term things, issues, and anything else we, we may want to change in our lives, You know, positive, beautiful, empowering things. Um, and having good, nutritious, especially in the early days, soft food in the first six weeks it makes it easy to digest is really important and just how we view ourselves when we have given birth we are actually um and my teacher uses the, the the term newborn mothers and that is a true term because we have and I felt this the same with my when I gave birth to my daughters I felt like I was a baby in a way not in the sense that I needed everything done for me but I felt like my digestion was different and I needed softer warm food because I felt different in my body i had this large gap where my baby used to be and you know i've got all this space where my organs are sort of trying to move back in place so um there is a really great book um that my teacher wrote called um nourishing newborn mothers and within that it's got a lot of recipes for i guess our emotions as well uh milk boosting for breastfeeding and all those other things that are to do with digestion because when we're having nourishing warming soft foods that are easy to digest we're able to just get back into flow and just sort of align a bit more into you know feel into where we are so i guess the first calling point is is food in a way as well um and food that is cooked for you not by you so i always say when i give these recipe books out make sure you're not cooking this because you should be resting and you should be recovering and um you know someone else should be doing that not giving you that nourishment so that you're Mm
0: -hmm. replenished
1: to you know, provide for your newborn as well.
0: Yeah, I think there are so many good practices that, um, that you're suggesting, so many different ways that we can sort of implement these in, into our daily life, especially when it comes to the, the connection that you have between you and a partner, you and your partner, you and other people around you. And I mean, I love the idea of being cooked for, I think that is, that is such a, it's a love language that I think can be put into place all the time and put into action. And um, yeah, I definitely love the idea of just having that connection remain between you and the people you love and also taking that time for yourself. And I think we sort of underestimate the importance of self-care and looking after yourself after this after this huge journey that you've just sort of gone through throughout the past nine months, throughout the past time that you've gone through pregnancy, there's a whole other different way of sort of going through it and understanding. And I love the idea of a newborn mother, a newborn um, just sort of outlook into how you now would see yourself and how you now would sort of set different views in life and different outlooks that you've sort of taken in and just see yourself having so now we're going to go into the open mic and it gives you a chance to talk about something that you are passionate about something that you want to share with the audience so in the last minute or so i would love to give you the floor and uh just talk to the audience directly
1: thank you so much um so beyond postpartum which is such a huge topic um I, um, I'm really passionate about art. Um, art is been my, has been my own personal love language and my healing journey. Um, and I always say art is a, I mean, we always think we have to be creative to be artistic, but you know, I think it's something that is an expression of self and no matter what it looks like, it's beautiful in what it is. Um, so for me I'm really passionate about art because it's helped me heal through my life journey um, in particular through my health issues and it's just provided me I guess with an avenue to understanding myself more Um, and I love recommending it to those that I do work with as a way to I guess express and just to connect deeper into the heart. Um, I think so often we are in our minds so much we're in a very cognitive world that likes definite answers concrete black and white but the world just isn't like that it's such a rainbow and a rainbow of feelings ideas options and you know variety and i think it's really important to explore that and i love exploring that through material and textures colors paints and um my daughter is the same um I am actually also a healer and, um, when I do my channeled healing work, I sometimes channel artwork, um, and I can't even remember painting because I'm tranced out doing it because I'm so absorbed in the flow of the brush. And when I have painted something, it's just, and I look back, I'm like, Oh my God. And it's something that I've had in my mind somewhere that's actually out in front of me, um, as a version of me, I guess, in a way. So, um, I think it's really an important way to express feelings and to also find oneself. Um, It's a very beautiful journey. um, And it's something that I feel strange if I don't paint. Um, I feel like it's something I have to do that keeps me going, keeps me flowing. And I feel that um, it's a great way to get that energy as well. I love doing it with music. Um, and just having a bit of a dance sometimes depending what energy I'm in as well or sometimes I listen to relaxation music and just zone wow. out um, and I'm really passionate about you know creative and artistic approaches in other areas of my life as well uh, my food the way I present my food or the things I do with my family um, you know and just incorporating that in, in other ways as well so yeah uh, I think it's a beautiful thing that's not Um, I was sad to learn that they're not doing as much art in schools, but, um, I think it's a really beautiful, I think also, um, in a way undermined as well art is, but for me, I think it's such an empowering thing to do. Um, and I find it very empowering when I can get my journey out on a canvas or on a piece of paper or on a box or whatever I'm painting on. So that's something I'm passionate about.
0: Yeah. I, I love the idea of art and, just sort of, especially during um, lockdown, that was a big art phase of mine where I constantly was getting canvases off of Spotlight and going, um, if you don't know, Spotlight is sort of like an art store and a craft store in Australia. But for people who don't know, I know there's so many people around the world that listen to this. So just in context, but I love going there or just ordering it online and having that little time where I'm outside on a sunny day and just sort of painting. Sometimes it's paintings that don't even make sense. Majority of the time it is because I cannot paint for the life of me. So (laughs) it's. No, exactly. So it's like little splotches. I get little old sponges and I'm just sort of like splotching it on. I'm throwing paint onto the canvas. So there's a whole lot of it, but it's it's cathartic it's such a stress relief that we sort of underestimate and it's amazing just how I mean there's a product at the end of it there's something that to show for all the stress and all the relief that you're going through it's sort of what the end result is and I always saw it that way every time it none of it made sense the whole idea of throwing throwing paint at a canvas and calling it art is something that didn't make sense to a lot of people but it's not art it's it's release and that's what the that's what the canvas that's what I actually named one of the paintings that I made it was just release it was literally just me throwing paint at the wall and saying look I made a I made an art project but it did not look like anything that you would see in art or what you define art as I just called it a release because that's exactly what it was and then it became such a big part of my life. And I love sort of going into and doing the the paint by number things a lot of the time because I'm always seeing them around and I just go ahead and buy a whole lot of them. And whenever I feel like I need to paint, it's all there. It's all there in one place. It's, it comes with the paint. I don't have to buy it myself. So it just, it makes sense to sort of take that time and find different ways to to be creative and to be um to see the world in a different way and to see it in color, I think is a big thing as well. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Violet. I think I've had one of the great talks today and talking about I mean I didn't I I love knowing the definition of postpartum and talking about some of the misconceptions that I mean I think I already assumed a lot of them and I think a lot of my assumptions were correct in sort of how we see I think mothers and how we see mothers to be but I love talking about it with you and just seeing your perspective on it if there are people who wanting to talk a little bit more about it or mention things that I haven't spoken about other is there a way that they can get in contact
1: absolutely Um, I have a website I have two websites so I'm naturalbirthmagic.com.au and I'm also um, um, goldenviolet333.com as well but natural birth magic is my sort of main space, but it's quite easy to find on social media as well.
0: Oh, perfect! I will definitely have the link down um, in the description below on our YouTube channel uh, when the episode comes out, and you can see we can see Violet's workshops as well that you hold, um, whether it's online and I think face to face. Absolutely, well. yeah.
1: I work with actually um, a lot of clients in America as well with. Um, I do birth story healing um, as well, which is for um, anyone who wants to talk about their birth journey and needs a bit of uh, resolve to anything that they found really challenging or even traumatic on their journey. So um, we'll definitely be able to find some resources as well, but I would love to love to be able to just have a chat or support anybody resonates with anything that we've spoken about today.
0: Well, that's perfect. So I'll definitely go and check out Violet's website and go get in contact with her if you want to reach out and talk about, even talk about hypnobirthing a little bit more. I know we didn't get a lot into that today, but definitely it's something to mention and definitely go and check out the website and see for yourself the kind of workshops that Violet holds. So again, thank you so much for joining me today, Violet, and being on the show and taking time out of your day to come and join me.
1: Thank you so much for having me. And it's just been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for this opportunity.
0: You've been listening to Raising Parents, the Parenting Science Insights podcast, produced by the Parenting Science Labs, a division of LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. More episodes are available from 10 life management perspectives and can be found by searching LMSL on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcasting apps available on your smartphone. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, share, and subscribe to our channel so that other people can find it and we can continue to provide quality content. More of our work can be found on our website at pa.lmsl.net, where you can join our movement. I'm Dina Sargent, and thanks for tuning in.